Welcome to the Covenant Experience Podcast. At Covenant, we are growing passionate followers of Jesus Christ who serve all people. If you live in the tri-state area, we welcome you to join us on Sundays at 9 a.m. or 11 a.m. You can find more information about us online at covenantexperience.com or call us at 304-876-2212 with any questions. And now today's message. Thank you all so much for being here today. We are going to welcome back to the stage Dr. Bob Roberts. Thank you. I recently took over an organization, and I'm excited about it. But we wanted to go back and visit the foundational uh, statements in that organization. And so we looked at the vision, the mission, the values. You know how you do. And especially those of you that are businessmen or you run organizations, that one page is pretty important because it tells you who you are, what you do, and why you do it. And so I asked for all the staff to have input. I want to hear how you're thinking about this. How do you see it? And so they did. And one of the men uh, that is a part of that organization, when it came to values, put down the word, I think one of our values should be and has been and what we've done, humble. To be humble. Now, and he went on to say, and I think we need to make sure we give other people credit. We don't take credit. Now, you've got to understand, I'm the head of that organization, and they need to raise a few million dollars. And humble is not the first value that I would have thought of. I'm thinking, no, we need to tell our story, what we've done, so that we can raise money with foundations and donors who appreciate the work that this organization does And I don't know that that would be the best value to have. It's important and you should be humble. But is that really a ministry value or a corporate value? It may be a Christian value, but does that help us raise money? Does it help us tell our story? Does it help us do what we need to do? And so just for fun, these are the questions I had in my mind. I didn't respond to him. Because truthfully, I didn't want to sound unspiritual. Amen? How many of you have ever worried about you want to say something, somebody gave a Bible verse or a character trait, but what you really wanted to say was, "Uh uh-uh. Well, I'm a pastor, and I wanted to say, "Uh uh-uh. Okay? So I, I got to thinking about humility. What does it mean? And what are the implications of it? And no joke. For the past few months, I've been studying the character trait of humility. Now, there's been different character traits every year that I've worked on in my life. I'll take one character trait, and I'll focus on that character trait for three years sometimes. There was a time I focused on the character trait of kindness, because I could be so rushed and so in a hurry and trying to do this and do that that I could come across quick and not always kind. So I worked on kindness. And then my wife had one that she really felt led for me to work on called patience. That's not a fun value to work on, patience. I don't have time for that. So I began to think about humility and what does it mean? And let me tell you something you may not know. All the religions of the world 
like Christianity, see God, especially monotheism, see God lifted up high. Not a single world religion believes that God is humble. He cannot be. He created all. He's over all. He owns it all. But Christianity believes in the humility of God. Now, that's, that's a profound statement. The humility of God. Now, let that sink in. We believe that our God is humble. That's profound. How does the God of the universe, the creator of all things, the sustainer of all things, the touchstone of history and all meaning and philosophy, how is it that God can be humble? And yet that's what makes Christianity unique. Now we can talk about all these other virtues. I don't think we've talked nearly enough about humility. And I think one of the reasons is no preacher wants to preach a sermon on humility because it sounds like you're trying to say I'm humble. Amen? I mean, humility and how I achieved it. I mean, that'd be a great sermon, wouldn't it? But we can talk about compassion. We can talk about, we can talk about honesty. We can talk about kindness, mercy, love. We can talk about all these other values. But there's something about talking about humility that even betrays that we are humble. Do you follow what I'm saying? So how do we talk about something we're supposed to be, but in talking about it, it can appear that we may not be? Let me ask you this. How many of you consider yourself to be humble people? Could I, could I just see your hands? How many say, all right, I see the one guy over here. All right, two or three, the rest of you are arrogant snotheads. Wow. Cocky, arrogant people. That's who I'm talking to today, right? I mean, who wants to say, yeah, I'm humble, except for this guy over here? And your wife told me before the service, you are one arrogant man. That's what she said. No, I'm teasing you. I'm teasing you. Let me ask this. How many of you are sitting beside somebody's humble? Okay, some of you men are sucking up. All right. How many of you, how many of you need to work on humility? Can I see your hands? Oh, now that's good. Except for this young couple here. Y'all have not lived long enough. You didn't that's why you didn't raise your hand. But trust me, you probably need to work on it. Now, humility is something we have to pursue and be conscious of and yet not obsessed with, or we will not become that. Because in a very real way, humility is about losing yourself. And if you're always thinking about yourself, you're not going to be humble. Humility is losing yourself. One of the guys, one of the books I read was by a guy who did humility as an academic. He studied it as an ancient virtue. It's not a Christian book. And I definitely don't agree with some things in the book. But it, it was a bestseller, incredible book. I enjoyed it, learned a lot of things from it. Don't agree with him on everything. But in one of the chapters I was reading, he asked his wife, on a scale of one to ten, how humble am I? She gave him a four. I mean, not real humble. So how, how would you rate yourself? How would you rate yourself? 
If you were to say, on humility, I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a one to ten, what would you be? And what does it mean? Now, humility comes from the word humus. It's one of the most basic words. It means from the dirt. It just means simple. And I want to look at what I believe is the most profound passage in the entire Bible on the humility of God. I want us to look at this passage. And, and frankly, this passage is preached on the atonement. It's preached on the Trinity. It's preached on uh, Christ emptying himself, a lot of other subjects. But it also is the go-to passage for humility. And, and I want to encourage you to look at humility because humility, you may not think so, but it affects every area of your life. Humility affects your marriage. Amen? Is that the only man say amen to that? <laughs> humility affects your parenting. How many of you have ever had to apologize to your children because you did something wrong and it was hard, but you had to, you had to admit it? Don't do it often, but every once in a while. Humility. Humility affects your friendships or whether or not you have them. Humility affects how you talk to others, how you speak. You look at the polarization of our country. One thing that says loud and clear, we know what we're talking about, and I don't care what you have to say. That's not humility. Even if you disagree with someone and they're really wrong, there's a lot of wrong that's being purported out there. There's a lot of people that are trying to rewrite the truth. And those of us that hold on to the Word of God sometimes are viewed as bigots and backwards and everything else. But God's Word is true. Amen? Amen. But we don't have to be cocky back. What should make us different is not that well, we know the truth, but that we know the truth. And I don't have to be mean and hateful about it. I'm going to love you, but I'm going to disagree with you. Humility affects your work. It even affects your business and economics. We're in a mess because we've become too full of ourselves. As people, as a nation, sometimes even as a Christian community, we're going to show y'all. Guys, let me tell you something. That cross is all we need to show. That cross is our message. That cross is what aligns everything horizontally and vertically in our lives. That cross. So I want you to read with me Philippians 2. And it's interesting. He's writing this whole epistle of Philippians. And it's about joy. And... There is no real joy without suffering. Joy is a choice you make and a perspective you choose in the midst of suffering. And so Paul is going to use this phenomenal illustration of joy. And they're discouraged. The early church is being persecuted tremendously. Many people are losing their lives on a regular basis. And so he says, 
So if there's any encouragement in Christ, comfort from love, participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy. In other words, here's what he's saying. Hey, moms and dads, you've been with your kids when they've been hurting. You've put your arms around them to cover. He says, hang in there, guys. You're going to make it. I know you're suffering. I know you're hurting. But complete the joy, having this mind, the same love, being in full accord of one mind. So let's stop right there. In other words, he's saying, let's keep it together, people. Let's keep it together. Let's be one. We cannot do what God has called us to do if we're not willing to be unified. A divided church loses its testimony, its witness, and the power of the Holy Spirit to be salt and light. Do nothing from selfish ambition and conceit, but in humility. Count others more significant than yourselves. Underline that. Wow. What about me time? What about you've got to care for others, but you've got to look out for yourself first so you can care for others? That's a problematic verse, isn't it? If you're going to follow Jesus, that means everybody that you see, you've got to put first. Now, now, just think about doing that. And as you're thinking about doing that, and you're thinking, no, that's not right. That can't be right. Just keep glancing at that cross, would you? Just keep looking at that cross. Let each of you look not only to his own interest, but to the interest of others. Having this mind, it's how you think. Humility is not a virtue to develop. It is a, a perspective of life that you have to have. So is the virtue, is the value there? Yes. But it's how you're going to see all of life, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God. Guys, let me tell you something. The Trinity's real. Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. Here he makes it real clear. It's God did not count equality with God. Can't get any more God than that. A thing to be grasped. But emptied himself. Taking on the form of a servant. Being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself. By becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. So at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth, under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of the Father. Now, let me tell you two or three things as we push forward into this. Humility is not. I'm not saying humility is being a doormat. You hear me? God doesn't want you to be somebody's doormat. That's not humility. Humility is not humiliation. You may get humiliated, but that's not humility. Humility is not 
thinking less of yourself than you are. I'm just nothing. I'm just nobody. I ain't nothing. That's not humility. Many of the thoughts we've had about what humility is are wrong thoughts. They come from either people who are too arrogant or they come from people who are too broken and aren't healed and whole. So what is, what is humility and, and how do we deal with humility? Because we, we are living in the most narcissistic period, perhaps in American history. Did you know that? It's a crisis. It's an epidemic. That's a counselor shaking her head. Thank you, ma'am. I'm reading all y'all's books, trying to understand it. We have never focused more on self-esteem than we did about 40 years ago. And it's left us with arrogance, conceit, narcissism, self-centeredness, so that we no longer know how to get along. So let me give you five things that this passage teaches us about humility. Number one, humility is a radical value that Jesus lived. And we see that on the cross. We just read about it. He lived it. But we see him living it all throughout his ministry. How he relates to Mary and Martha. How he relates to the woman at the well. How he relates to children. How he relates to everyone is a picture of humility. The night before he's taken, it's the Lord's Supper. What does Jesus do? He comes in and he washes the feet of the disciples. He is constantly humbling himself, serving others, putting them first. It is a radical value of Jesus, but it's also a cluster value. When you get humility, it's not just one value. There are many other values and fruits of the Spirit that follow along with the value and, and the, the character trait of humility. Patience. If you're going to be humble, you've got to wait. Discipline. If you're going to have to be humble, you're going to have to discipline your mind more than anything else. How you think, what you think, what you say. It's deliberate. It's loving. When you get humility, you get all kind of stuff. That's why Paul Peter, Jesus, John, James, nearly every single writer of the New Testament stresses the character trait of humility. Recently, I saw a tweet by somebody. What was it about Jesus that he could stand up against sin and sinners flock to him? But we stand up against sin and they get upset with us. It's not in the message. It's in the messenger. I think Jesus was a lot better messenger than we are. Jesus came to heal, to restore, to, see, to, to, to save people. He came to redeem. Sometimes when we talk to people, we're out to win a battle. A person who's fighting to win a battle versus a person who loves the people you're talking to, you talk a radically different way. Jesus had the ability to approach people in sin I just think about the woman at the well. I mean, you're not supposed to be talking to me. What are you doing talking to me, Jesus? A man shouldn't be talking to a woman. I'm a Samaritan. But he sits down at the well, he talks to her. Uh, it's fascinating. Uh, he, he, she says something about her husband. He said, yeah, you've spoken right because you've got five. You've had five. Isn't that interesting? I mean, he knows everything, but he's engaging. Guys, let me tell you something. 
I think one of the problems we have in our evangelism today and why we can't see people come to faith in Christ, our own kids included sometimes, is because we come across as arrogant. Get down. Get low in the dirt. Don't compromise what you believe. But be loving and be kind and be there. Listen, I'm with Muslims all the time and they know that I believe Jesus is the only way. I'm with Jews all the time. They know what I believe about that. They don't believe that. I remember one time I was talking to Majid and David, an imam and a rabbi that Joel and I know, and I was talking about a book I'd read about three years ago called The Humility of God by a theologian. And I asked both of them, is there humility in how you see God? Is God seen as humble? And both said, not at all. Now, I expected David, the rabbi, would probably look at some passages in the Hebrew scriptures, and I guess it's all in how you interpret them. But I've talked to other religious leaders of other religions, and for them, it's impossible God to be humble because he would have to get beneath his creation or at best become like his creation. But that's what the incarnation is. God becoming us, in us, but not just us still retaining who he is as God. Humility was a radical virtue of the life of Jesus. That's why in Matthew 18, 4, he says, if you want to enter the kingdom of heaven, you've got to be like a little child. I meet people all the time and they say, you know, I want to come to faith in Christ, but I first got to study and I want to understand it all. Can I just tell you something? I think we should always study and understand truth. Amen. I love it when an atheist comes to faith in Christ because they're going to think about it. They're going to wrestle with it. You're going to have to have a lot of conversations. You're going to read books together. When they accept Christ, they really accept Christ. I think sometimes a lot of people just mindlessly accept Christ. They feel a little something in their heart. Oh, Jesus, come in, and their life doesn't ever change. I love it when people think, but let's be clear. Conversion and transformation does not happen because we have finally figured it all out. It happens because we have a divine encounter and an experience with God. Some kind of revelation took place. I didn't think of your name. I think it's Paula. You bless my heart. Is that it? No? Okay, good. I did good. Now, if I get in trouble here, you stop me, all right? We're just having fun today. This woman has committed some really horrible sins. I mean, she was just... No, I'm I'm teasing you. I'm teasing you. But, but she was explaining last week on the way back, taking me to town, how she accepted Christ. I thought I was talking to a Muslim. She said she had a vision of Jesus when she was a young lady. You mind me telling that? It's too late now. Thank you. <laughs> Let me tell you something, guys. You may not have had a vision of Jesus like Paula had, but you don't accept Christ. And there not be some radical change that goes on inside of you. You may not be a real emotional person. You may not have gotten real emotional when you accepted Christ. But if there was not a sense of the divine, if there was not a sense of God is before me, God is moving in me, something didn't happen. Jesus lived by this radical value of humility. Second of all, humility reminds us who we are. 
Luke 4.11 says, Jesus says, For all who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. And can we just talk about exalting and crowns for just a moment? I love that old hymn. Man, that lady blessed me, whoever sang that. Boy, it took me back. But, but what, I, what, I, what I like about it is this. Guys, we don't get the crown so we can say, look at us. We're giving them back to him. And, and when he's saying being humili- if God does exalt you for being humble, do you know what you do with that exaltation? You give it back to God and you use it for somebody else, not yourself. See, we think, oh, I earned that. That's my reward. It's mine. No, he earned everything. And whatever good in your life is not because of you, because you were dead in your sins. And Jesus came inside and resurrected, resurrected his life in your life. And so this whole thing about rewards and being exalted is not, oh God, lift me up so people will say, hey, look at this guy, look at that gal. That's not what he's doing. He's saying we're exalted and everything that we're exalted with, do you know what we do? We give it back glory to God. It's cost of God. It's cost of God. It's for God. And whatever good you get, you leverage it to be a blessing for someone else. Humility reminds us of who we are. So we have to know God. We have to know ourselves. Do you know yourself? How self-aware are you? Do you really know who you are? Do you know how you come across? I think it's important to be reflective. Uh, Before we hire people, we have all these personality profiles we take them and multiple interviews that we do. And you wouldn't believe all the stuff that we do. And as staff, we have reviews and there's all this stuff that's important and what we try to do to help people be self-aware. But at the end of the day, Do you know that that's one of the main reasons God gave us the word of God to pray and reflect and the Holy Spirit convicts us and helps us to see so that we can deal with this stuff in our... Can I just be honest? You're all screwed up. And so am I. And God knows that. That's why he gave Jesus to redeem you. That's why he gave the Holy Spirit to live inside of you, to convict you and teach you. That's why he's given you this Bible to constantly pour into you. It's why, listen to me, he's given us one another. Because sometimes we can see things in one another we can't see in ourselves. I need you to help me see stuff that's not good in my life. And I hate to say it, but the person who's going to see that stuff best, you know who it is? Come on, have courage. Come on, come on, talk to me, people, or I'm going to go 45 more minutes. Huh? Oh, that lady, well, Jesus is good. We're in church. Jesus, that's the right answer. Answer number two, your spouse. That's it. Now, is your spouse perfect? No. And so what happens is a lot of times in a marriage or even in a church, we're afraid to be honest about our weaknesses because If we do that, then they'll use that against us. Or we don't want to listen to what they say because they've also got issues in their life. Guys, we're all broken. That's why we need one another. My wife and I are so opposite, it's ridiculous. We are so opposite. She's planned and organized. I'm all over the place. I plan while I'm going. You know, she's she's an educator. She thinks everything through. I'm just kind of going through it, 
you know, and just kind of figure out, okay, now I'm going out there. Here we go. We're moving in that direction. I'm a huge risk taker. She's not. I mean, we can go down the list. Uh, we, we literally went, uh, we applied to be missionaries with the International Mission Board 40 years ago. They rejected us because of my wife. I was just fine. But <laughs> no, I'm teasing. Honestly, we went, they did reject us. That's another story. But it was God's will. Amen. Sometimes things you want to do, God doesn't want you to do. All right. But I remember they put in the front of the class the person who was the most adventuresome, courageous, and a risk taker. Out of 100 people, I was at the front of the class. Amy, guess where Nikki was? Very back of the class. They put the most domesticated person in the class. Guess who was at the front of the class? My wife. Guess who was at the back of the class? Me. I mean, all of these things. I remember when the, when the uh, psychologist interviewed us, he said, uh, Mr. Roberts, have you ever been a part of any extremist groups or whatever? I started laughing and say, of course not. And I got concerned when he wasn't laughing. And he just said, well, I'm, I was just curious and studying your profile. People like you have been known to, and we just want to be. And I thought, oh, my word, what's going on here? A lot of times we cut people out of our life because we want perfect people to speak into our lives when we're not perfect ourselves. Humility reminds us about who we are and puts people around us. Humility puts others first. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility value others above yourself. It's authentic relationships. It's caring about other people more than you care about you. Who do you put first? And you know, the interesting thing is some people are humble at work, but arrogant at home. Sometimes it's a contextual thing. Jesus was consistent wherever he lived life. See, humility that you can turn on with this person and turn off with that person, that's not humility. That's preferential response. Are you with me? Humility says, I've got to work at making sure that I'm treating those little kids the same way as I'm treating those apostles, the same way as I'm treating the women, the same time, that way that I'm treating everybody else. It's all the same. And so for humility to put others first changes how we listen to people, what we think about people. Not long ago, I did a retreat of black and white pastors. Did y'all know that we have a race problem in America? It's pretty bad. So for three days, there was a room full of black and white pastors we got together. Because to a large degree, we're talking past one another. And Bible-believing, Jesus-loving, African-American pastors and white pastors. Put them in the room together. If we solve that one, it'll solve all the other race headaches, I'm telling you. So we put them in the room together and and we met for three days, and it was an emotional period. I mean, it got raw at times. People brought out stuff, and they were really talking. Sometimes I'd have to hold the white pastors back and say, no, let them talk. Let them talk. Sometimes the black pastors would get real going at it real hard and, and get upset about something. I'd say, wait, wait, wait. You, you still got to hear it. It was one of the most profound things any of us had ever been a part of with race because we just let all the walls down, every bit of it. Nothing was sacred. Nothing was holy. So towards the end of it, I just felt in my heart we needed to do something. And there's no ifs, ands, or buts about it. You know, as, 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 as white people, we got to own it. I mean, we made it horrible 
for African-Americans here in our country, post, uh, pre-slavery and post-slavery. And at uh, I, 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 I I, I, the hotel we were staying at, I went and I got a bunch of buckets and uh, water and towels. And I had every African-American pastor sit in a chair. I said, look, forgive us. We were wrong. We can't help what our ancestors did, but we can sure help what we do. We can help that we make sure that you're treated equally and fairly. This is wrong. And so I had the white pastors wash the feet of the black pastors. You just begin to sob in the room. I tell you, that's what we need, Joel. We need a prayer meeting and a foot washing service and radical repentance. Amen? But what blew me away, I thought, you know, boy, God's going to do something in this room. What blew me away was when we finished, Black Pastor Bob, 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 wait. They sat down, all of the white pastors washed their feet. I just thought, oh God, this is what you did. We hurt those men. We brought them over here as slaves. Didn't treat them right. Didn't give them their civil rights. The hate, the rage, the lynching, everything that else has happened in our country. And here they are washing our feet. Listen to me. Humility puts others first. Fourth thing, humility leads us to success. I'm, I'm not going to develop this. I've kind of run out of time, but I want to mention it because it's important. First Peter 5, 6 says, Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God so that he may exalt you at the proper time, having cast all your anxiety on him because he cares about you. Let's go back where it says that he may exalt you at the proper time. What's the proper time? He's not going to exalt you until God is glorified and men are served. That's the whole point of exalting. The exaltation of the cross, the cross really is a defeat. The, the picture of victory is an empty tomb. All right? And so Jesus is exalted. He has to live this life, go through everything, humble himself. But what's the point? To serve all of humanity so that God is glorified, God is lifted up so people can see God for who God is. And so once they can see God, once they can experience God, now he's going to give all glory to God and draw men to himself so that they may be saved. The whole point of this is that God positions it and puts it at a time that changes everything. Jim Collins in his book, Good to Great, some of you have read it. It's an old book, but a profound book. Listen to what it says. Five levels of leadership. And the ones who grow the biggest companies are level five leaders that are humble, that are more concerned about the company than they are about themselves. Level five. Jesus was a level five leader. And I begin to read about that in the research. It's true. Business, economics, all of it. I mean, some of the most successful people in the world were some of the most humble people. Lincoln. I mean, you can go down the list. There's a whole list of people I was reading about. So I conclude with this. 
James 4.10, that's the verse we all know. Humble yourself before the Lord and he will exalt you. Do you want to be humble? I don't know how humble I am. I guarantee you there's some places I'm not and some places I, I may be. Humility is being self-aware of what you're good at and what you're not good at. And not being false humble, but just being honest about it. When I think about Jesus humbling, I don't think there's anything else that would bring revival in America like the church humbling itself. Because really what humility is, it's our response to pride. Humility is our response to pride. I think we're full of it. Pride is running over. So here's what I want us to do. Could we stand for just a moment and our instrumentalists come? They're going to sing in just a second. But I'm going to ask for the people to go to the crosses, the elders, the leaders, however y'all do that, whoever's supposed to be there, would y'all go over there? And I'd like for you to just, every single one of us, pick out one of those crosses and look at it and think about it. I'm going to ask our instrumentalists just to play, would you? Just play real soft. I just want you, would you all stand with me? Would you stand up? And I want you to just look at that cross and ask yourself the question. God, show me my heart. Help me be humble. Help me to bow before you. Start a work in my heart where I don't have to get recognition, but I can empty myself for the sake of other people. Now, those prayer partners are there if you need to talk to them. You may be going through some real brokenness in your life right now. A marriage crisis, a job crisis, a personal crisis, an addiction, a sickness. Or maybe you've got something you just need somebody to pray with. You're trying to figure something out. Or maybe you're here and you've never met Jesus, but you want this Jesus who humbled himself and went to that cross for you. Whatever he's saying to you, just go to that cross. We've all been to the cross. Go to that cross. Listen to him. Now, here's what I'd ask the rest of you to do. The invitation is really for everybody, not just those who get up and walk over there. So I'm going to give every single one of you an invitation, and here it is. Jesus, I want more humility in my life. Show me where I'm not. Help me listen to those who want to help me get there. Would you do that? Let's just bow our heads right now. After a moment of silence, our worship team is going to sing, and you go to those crosses, and you'll be ministered to. So Holy Spirit, as only you can, convict, reveal, show, help us to know that you are with us and that you have walked with us and you're going to walk with us is my prayer in your name. Amen. Hi, everybody. Pastor Joel here, and I am so glad you stopped by. I pray this podcast helps you in your walk with God. And if you're listening with questions about faith of any sort, God is not afraid of those questions, and neither are we. 
Join us any Sunday morning at 9 o'clock or 11 o'clock in the morning. If you're new to our area and looking for a church home, I hope we'll see you soon and have the opportunity to welcome you properly and personally through our doors. And if you live in the tri-state area, but you're already a part of one of the other phenomenal church families here, I pray this podcast has been a great addition to the primary teaching you already receive from your local pastor and that you've been better equipped to serve your own church family. So let's all go make Jesus famous this week. Share his love every chance you get until we meet again. And God bless you.